Welcome to Energetic Radio. I am your host, Dale Sybottom. Join me each week as I bring you amazing guests and interviews from some of the world's best operators. They will teach us how to bring fun, energy, and joy into each and every day. Let's get stuck in. Welcome to episode number 95 of the podcast, and today I'm joined by Richard Shorter from Non-Perfect Dad. Now, Rich travels around the UK and Europe uh, working with coaches and parents on ways to get them moving in the same direction. So he's worked with some of uh, British's top elite juniors, coaches, teachers, parents, um, you name it, he's done it. And what the, what I really love about my chat today with Rich is hearing his background story and how he how he got into what he's doing now, and then all the amazing work he's doing, his new book he's released, which he talks about. Um, And basically, there's so many little takeaways that um, our conversation just keeps flowing. Now, this is a little bit longer an episode, and I felt like it could have gone for so much longer. Um, Rich and myself just had so much to talk about. The conversation flew, and there was a wealth of knowledge for you to take away. So hopefully you can get something out of this if you've got kids, if you're a teacher, if you're a parent, if you're a coach then this episode's for you. Enjoy episode number 95. Alrighty guys, welcome to the podcast and I'm joined all the way from the other side of the world, Rich Shorter. How are you buddy? Mate, well it's flipping early in the morning over here mate, but I'm really good, really excited to be here. Um, I had to take my son to school for quarter to five this morning for a school trip to the World War One back fields and it just seemed that the times would make perfect sense to catch up with you mate so I'm really really pleased to be here. Mate I'm stoked and, and you look fresh as a daisy from uh, what I just saw over the Skype cam you are looking a treat mate so obviously early morning suit you. <laughs> yeah. Do, do you know what? I'm not sure they do, but my kids have to leave early for school, and I, I just I made the decision a few years ago that if I wanted to get my stuff done, like get my head in the right place, do some exercise, etc., that I had to make early mornings my friend. So yeah, here I am. Now, I like um, you, mate. I think I think you can get a lot of good things done in the morning. So I like that. Now, Rich, for people listening along, non-perfect dad is where you are now, and we're going to talk all about that today. But um, just a little bit of your background, mate, and how you actually got to doing what you're doing now. Mate, well, that's a, that's a good question. So um, I bet there are loads of things that people aren't going to expect to come out in this story. So I um, I love sport as a kid. I uh, I'm, I'm quite dyslexic, so school was a bit of a challenge. And I got part of two communities when I was in the UK, what we call sixth form. So uh, 16, 17, 18, I was part of my local church community and I was part of the local sports community. And those two really helped kind of shape and influence who I was I did a year out in South Africa uh, working for a church and for local schools doing lots of sports stuff and um, I really fell in love with doing youth work really fell in love with coaching uh, working with young people so I landed up doing a degree in community and youth work in the UK and from that uh, primarily landed up going to work in the faith sector uh, had a really exciting time, ran a skate park, um, set up and ran a skate park, which was pretty cool. Um, made me one of the school ca- cool skater kids for a while. <laughs> and, um, you know, for what that was worth, it was kind of a award-winning youth work. But 
and, and I kind of had that early 20s kind of, I'm going to save the world. You know, I'm going to do all this amazing community development stuff that is going to just see radical change. And I started to notice some patterns that really challenged that assumption that it was going to be me who brought about the change. And, and the patterns that I noticed were in two sets of young people. The first was we might see a bunch of brilliant young people down the skate park might hang out with them, really trying to instill in them their self-worth, their, their, the opportunities they have in life, uh, really try and build them up, help them see the, who they are, and then they'd go home. And home for some of those young people was a pretty tough place, pretty tough environment, um, sometimes because of poverty, but other times just because of a real driven mindset at home that, you know, I need you to get certain results in life. You need to jump through certain hoops to be to be good or sound or sorted, um, often quite kind of quite high educational expectations. And then another group of kids who kind of came and hung out with us and spent time with us who, who went home to a really supportive home environment. And I learned really, really quickly <laughs> that, that actually home was significantly more influential than I was. And whilst some of that youth work I did was, was good um, and had impact, and I'm friends with what they were young people then, now they're adults with that, you know, their own partners and kids, I, I noticed that if I really wanted to help support change and development in society, I needed to have a significant part of that holistic approach needed to be parents and families. So um, I carried on in the faith sector. I'm now a Baptist minister. So I'm the Reverend Richard Shorter, but only my mum really writes that to me. Um, <laughs> and, and I moved with my wife to a part of East London. Uh, we were in a, a beautiful part of uh, South London called uh, South End, and then we moved to East London <clears throat> to what would be kind of described as an area of quite significant deprivation. Carried on doing family work, did a lot of work for our local authority. If I say anything in English, by the way, that needs translating, just just interrupt me. Um, You're going well, mate. I'm liking it. And, and, and so, so our kind of local authority, our local government. <laughs> Um, desperately needed people to run their local parenting courses. So when we moved here, we partnered with the local authority, par partnered with social services, dealing with that really ugly, sharp end of, of kind of child protection, safeguarding stuff. Um, because I'm a bloke, and a lot of those industries tend to be very female-dominated, um, the, the local authority really liked the fact that they had a man to come and deliver a lot of stuff to men. Um, and so carried on that progression. Now, our little church is an awesome place, but um, it can't afford me full time, nor would I want them to try and afford me full time. I don't think that ethically would be right. So uh, four years ago, I set up Non-Perfect Dad. Um, I thought, you know, I've never run a business before. That can't be hard. Everybody who runs businesses makes it look so easy. I'm going <laughs> to nail that one. Um, and started Non-Perfect Dad as a kind of private parenting consultancy. Now, you remember at the start of my story, I said I love sport, but busyness, church, having three kids, um, breaking elderly body of mine, um, uh, men that sport kind of dropped off the radar, although I enjoy it, and my son and daughters really enjoy their sport. So I started to think, where are dads, primarily dads, I don't just work with dads, I need to say that, but I was starting, where are dads? And dads are on the side of the sport pitch. So I just started looking at the sports world, started having some conversations with people, and then people started having some conversations back with me. Um, and it kind of, it's just gone mad, mate. I mean, they're, 
the the sports world seemed to really enjoy my approach, seemed to really recognize that I've kind of now got 20 years of, of experience in seeing parental behavior, parent behavior support and development and encouragement, which then impacts kids and broader community. And, um, and yeah, so in the UK, I have this immense privilege of living where I live, but I travel all around the country um, delivering for national governing bodies, um, kind of youth development team. So I'd, I'd work with like England rugby under 18s, England cricket, England hockey, and then going around uh, a, a number of the premiership rugby clubs, um, the first class county cricket clubs, and uh, a lot of independent schools to to help them engage with parents in a way which supports you know in coach speak we talk about mindset but how I talk to parents about it is basically character development um, and helping parents enjoy that sporting journey rather than that sporting journey being something that causes deficit in family life yeah and I, I think that's great and one I love your story I, I didn't know that about uh, the church and everything like that now on the skateboard Rich you, you're much of a kick flipper no, mate you know what I did inline skating because I thought that's going to be the easiest thing to learn <laughs> I just my feet don't you know at school when I was at primary school football soccer was just like the, the thing that every and I, I you know I'm left footed but I've got two right feet and I, I and then I discovered rugby and I discovered running into people was such great fun and I didn't need that so when it then came to skating I discovered I still had no feet coordination but I could just about inline skate on a half pipe and um, and, and I could still knock people out of the way, so I could combine both my love of rugby and um, <laughs> so, yeah. So I, I not, love that, I, mate. From a coaching point of view, running a skate park was an was an incredible experience, just really humbling because um, you know I'm sure you have the same in Australia. Kids just get on a skate, they get on and mentor one another, they get on and support one another. Um, it's actually a very incredible environment that doesn't really need adults um, and it really challenges my own perspective on what community development coaching leadership looks like because um, in they've just put a massive skate park in at Harold Hill and I've gone down and done some detached outreach work there and it is amazing to see how that community just very very quickly establishes a set of boundaries and culture around it that supports growth keeps people safe it, it, it's, it's an, it, I think for teachers and coaches Spend some time in a skate park and, and it'll it'll humble you. <laughs> well, I I think I think the best thing about a skate park is it's sort of that free play sort of option and there's no rules, but the kids make their own rules. I think too often with coaching, which and you probably see this at, at schools and at training sessions, it's also structured. We don't give let the kids be creative. Whereas at a skate park, they're basically at their own own device and they can go however they like. Right, totally, totally, and 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 there is. There is a hierarchy, there is a structure to how that culture develops, you know, particularly, but it's, but, but there is also a far flatter um, mentoring and mentorship. So one kid who knows one trick will spend ages teaching a kid who doesn't know that trick, but that kid might know another trick and they'll spend ages teaching that kid. And there's a, I think there's a far better economy of, of support and encouragement than the kind of hierarchical structure we tend to take in education, which is there is a teacher, they know everything, and, and, then, and then the audience will listen and learn. Yeah, and I, I agree with that, and I think it's sort of the similar model to sort of video gaming as well, where there's no um, what's what's the only thing you don't see there in a video game? There's no teacher telling them what to do at a skate park. They're helping each other out. It's sort of similar. Is that something you're seeing works really well? Um, well, I'm not. I mean, I must say the skate park doesn't doesn't run anymore. But but the I I think I mean it's interesting you mentioned the video games because I think that 
we we often moan about how much time kids are playing in front of video games without asking questions. What what are they getting from yeah, that? Good point. What what are they? What in their development, particularly that teenage development, what is what is gaming? What is gaming nurturing that is that is they're not finding elsewhere? Um, or, and part of that is because you know the developers of games are ridiculous, spend a ridiculous amount of money on on narrative and uh, on looking good and on all that kind of stuff. So some of that is just a, a consumeristic stuff element. But I think there's a huge ton of around com- stuff around community, which um, which we don't quite understand. And I think you're right. And I think in some ways the gaming world is is just a massive skate park of, of kids to to be able to express, to to find find niches, to find um, cliques of friends that support who they are and what they do. They accept them, accept their wider story, um, you know, because they're focused in on the gaming. So it doesn't matter, you know, where in the world you're from, um, you know, what kind of grades you're getting or anything like that. It's, it's, it's about the game. Um, uh, and it's about the community that, and a kind of ecology of relationships that develop around that game. Um, so I think for, I think for adults who perhaps haven't, got into gaming and become quite skeptical and negative about it i think we would do well i mean esports is just massive now Huge. It's, it's growing it's it's growing faster than physical sports and 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 the cheap answer of that is oh it's because the generation's lazy because um you know it's just easier to be in front of a screen than go out in the back garden and play but i don't actually think that's a full a full answer to that to that statement yeah listen i mean you know in, in where i live excuse the pun but we have a massive obesity issue so there are challenges around that i'm not denying that at all um and sitting in front of a computer screen for hours and hours and it does not help that but when you look at the top gainers they all take their physical fitness really really seriously yeah, yeah. I, I, totally, I totally agree with that and i think one of the things is that you look at schooling and sport and everything it's it really hasn't evolved whereas gaming they're probably five six years ahead of what we're even thinking about at the moment. That's why their narrative, their storytelling, um, and the way they suck kids in to just keep playing it is, it's, I think we should all be taking a leaf out of their book and not embracing gaming, but taking mm. the elements that are so good about it and using it in everyday life. So I totally agree with that, Rich. Now, one of the main reasons I wanted to get you on today is uh, because of a mutual friend, Craig Gunn, who was on uh, episode 88, which was a great episode if you haven't listened to that. But... Um, You've got a book coming out, mate, which I'm really excited about. I know we've spoken a little bit about this leading up to the interview. Do you want to explain your idea of your book and then um, how it's come about? Mate, thank you. So, so I think when I work with parents, I'm 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 trying to ask the question here: what what really adds value to to the parents' experience, which will enable the value to be then transferred to the child's experience in sport? How do we how do we create environments in our coaching environments, in our educational environments, which enable parents to fuel the common ground that we have between parents and um, and students and teachers? So when I do a parents presentation, I often start with this the barbecue question, um, and. The question I ask is simply this. At your child's 40th birthday party, you know, they're going to have a barbecue to celebrate. I, I love barbecues, so I'm so telling weird. everyone that's so, how. So so exactly, you know, you guys do, <laughs> definitely do. So, so, I'm, so I'm telling people that's how they're going to celebrate. And um, and, and, and you're, you're moving around your child's birthday party 
how do you want to hear them described? What are you? What are the conversations you want to be eavesdropping on? And I use uh, an incredible online platform called Mentimeter, which is free. And it, and, it, and I would really encourage coaches and educators to have a look at it because it's a great way of po- polling how people feel, whether it be parents, students, colleagues, and I, and they all fill in online. It doesn't collect any personal data. It just it's two questions. Uh, sorry, give me two words that you want to. Hear your child to be described by at their 40th birthday party. And you know what, Dale? Every single time, the, the biggest words are happy, kind, contented. So it produces a big word cloud of all the answers, basically. Okay, yes. and, um, and, the, and the common, the biggest common answers are, you know, kind, happy, um, friendly. Successful is often in there, but I think successful is a very broad word to define. And and when you look at that list, very, very rarely are there achievements on that list. Almost always they're character-orientated words. Um, you, you know, you'll obviously get the joker who says they buy dad all the beer or... Uh, <laughs> yeah, of course. Or, you know, they pick me a good nursing home or whatever. <laughs> but I... But, but I think parents, particularly in the sports world, get this incredibly poor rap. It's quite lazy language talking about our oh, parents are just living their dreams vicariously through their youth. Um, and actually, when you, when you help parents stop and reflect on what they want, it seems that they want kids with good character. Now, I ask another question to coaches, and I say to coaches, what two words do you want your athletes to be described by by their next coach? So say you've gone down the gone down the clubhouse and you're having a beer and you bump into a coach and he says oh you coached him at under 14s didn't you listen i've got to, just got to tell him got to tell you about him or it's a teacher oh you taught her in um you know when they were uh when they were eight years old now they're um now they're 12 i've just got to tell you about them what are the type of words you want to hear that child athlete student described by and the amazing thing Dale, is is the same list appears that the parents show it uh, may be slightly more educationally oriented so teachable hardworking. um you know, love of learning comes up. But again, there's nothing technical or tactical or very rarely does anything technical or tactical appear in those two lists. Um, and I, that really excites me. So that tells me that's an anonymous list. People aren't part up to it, that people really love character. People really love fueling character. It, they want to hang good people on, you know, the kind of old all black adage of better people make better athletes. And it seems that actually, be, you know, adults want to produce good people. Now, of course, because we're human beings, we're capable of holding multiple motivations in our heads. And there will be those parents who want to produce a good person and a World Cup winner or, or, um, or an Olympic medalist. And there's, I don't actually think there's anything wrong with that. Um, but it's how those two things interact with one another. Um, so you asked the question about the book. So it's just a long introduction to basically saying, I think that from my observation and from reading what high-performance coaches, elite coaches talk about, how character is, is so significant, but we live in a results-orientated world. And parenting is not easy. And it's really hard to know if you're being a good parent. In fact, to be honest with you, I think the only time you're going to know whether you've been successful as a parent is when they choose your nursing home. Um, <laughs> and, and, and because of that, and we live in a society that's very results orientated, parents understandably get hooked into, you know, what was your test score? Did you win? How did you get on? Um, and yet when I ask them to reflect on what do they really want, they don't want good test scores. They want good kids. So, so, I'm thinking, how do I fuel that conversation? And, and what we what we know from looking at the research is that particularly young people who are involved in sport, that if parents get heavily involved in the coaching side, that the likelihood is that will damage their sporting journey. And it most certainly will damage how they 
mental health wise and things like that go into later on in life but if we could focus on kind of mindset and character we might support facilitation through the ups and downs of life so i've written a book it's called conversations for the journey um we also know from research that parents really struggle with the car journey before and after sports matches and it's 40 kind of creative fun um honest ways of building character sporting character in the way to and from the car match so it's questions like the parent saying to the child what would make you proud of me today so um so giving the child the voice of saying well actually mum and dad don't embarrass me yeah correct don't don't yell out and make and make a fool of yourself Uh, yeah exactly um questions uh, like can you tell what i'm thinking on the sideline How, how how do you how can you tell that um just simple questions for parents like you know what makes your game fun a uh, bit of fun questions for perhaps for the younger kids you know if an alien arrived today why should they play your sport just letting kids letting kids really express to their parents why they do it because um, I don't reckon any kid's going to say because you win to that to that answer question not that there's anything wrong with winning or enjoying winning by the way but I just don't think that that's what they do um, questions um, such as can you imagine what grandma and grandpa were like before big games with me helping kids connect with their generational story helping kids understand that kind of character traits run through run through parents um questions like what's the ref hoping to get out of it today you know i think in so many youth sports refs are volunteers um and even if they're not volunteers um, they're often younger refs trying to learn their trade um and they get a hard time from parents they get a hard time from kids and um you know my son is passionate about his rugby he played this weekend according to him it's because the ref that he lost it's because of the ref yeah of course which which you know and i was just like mate you you know what what, a what a ridiculous statement um and b um you know so i just had a conversation with him about is that an excuse and what what is that actually and he was moaning about the ref and how the ref shouldn't and i was just like you know when the ref turned up in the car park what do you think he was hoping to get out of it why do you think he turned up today you, you know, just trying to help my son be a bit more grateful for the person who's given up their Saturday morning to facilitate um, 30 boys playing rugby rather than seeing him as the enemy and the, the cause of, uh, of dissent and, and challenge. And I think for me, parent, the other reason I've written this book is because I think a lot of parent resources are aimed at helping parents get better. Really admirable that parents don't buy those type of resources. Parents don't buy into those type of resources. Um, parents will buy into those type of resources when they feel like there's a major crisis. But most parents in sports don't feel there's a major crisis. So parents, I don't think, are Googling, oh, what books do I need to help my child in sport? But I do think that if we can help parents say, listen, this these conversations will help your kid get better, parents are buying books that they think will make their kid better. So so part of the challenge that I think for particularly teachers and, and coaches is our language around parental development has been very, very coach-centric, very t- teacher-centric. Um, the motivation hasn't necessarily been wrong. The, the philosophy and the teaching points haven't necessarily been wrong, but they've been communicated in a way that just isn't going to get parents to access. I spent 20 years, Dale, trying to get parents onto parenting courses, um, trying to help them engage in parenting courses, whether they be sent by a, a judge who's threatened to take away their child, et cetera, et cetera. And, and you, you know, parenting is a tough job. It's a job that's often very... Uh, judged in society. I don't know what it's like in Australia, but in the UK, there's just a huge guilt trip about parenting. There's a lot of comments about celebrity parents and things like that, whether they do the right or wrong thing. And I and I don't think that resources that are aimed at improving parenting are flying off the shelves. Um, they are in the baby days, because when you have a baby, you don't know what the flipping that you're doing. And it's scary. <laughs> 
it's scary, and primarily you want the kid to stop crying. And but as you kind of move through, so for example, in the UK, there's been um, one of I won't embarrass them by saying who, but one of the national governing bodies has just run in the last couple of years a scheme to get a lot more children involved in their sport. It has been, it has been phenomenally successful, and they have a desire to engage parents in that. And it's very, very creative. It's very clever. But they produced a bunch of videos for parents to do stuff with their kids at home. Okay, And it was all marketed to the parents as this is going to help you. And they tested these videos in front of parents. So they te- got a bunch of parents in, showed the parents the videos, and said to the parents, what do you think about that? And the parents were like, yeah, that's pretty cool. They're, they're good videos. Do you know the videos were just not used? They just were not used. Because, and I believe that they, were, they weren't used, not because they were poor or judgmental or harsh, but because that type of resource does not engage with parents. So, you, so if you're engaging with parents, you, you need to help them see why their behavior change is a win for their kid. Yeah. Okay? You, yeah, got so to they're, help. They're sort of, they're, so they're, they're sort of, they don't really care about what they're doing, if, but if it can Im- impact the outcomes, the character, the building of their child and help them be successful, that's what they're interested in. Yeah, and so, you know, one of my strap lines is, you know, parents and coaches working together to help build success on and off the sports pitch because parents are obsessed with that. Um, when I talk about success, I talk about character success. I don't care what grades kids get um, because I don't think kids are defined by their grades. Um, but then that's a passionate dyslexic talking. Um, so, of course, um, but that's but, fair. But, 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 um, but, but actually, if a parent wants to interpret that differently, that's cool. I, I'm not trying to be subvertive. A friend of mine works in, in behavioral change science and works with all over the world. Um, and so he's a bit of a mentor of mine on behavior change. And I find that the challenge that coaches and teachers have is they try and apply the same philosophies they'd apply in the classroom or on the coaching pitch to parents. And that's just, it just doesn't work. It's a completely different group of people. So, so my friend was telling me about a developing country that, that he was given 270 villages um, to work with because they, this developing country's government wanted to increase the number of toilets that, that houses have. Most of the to- houses didn't have toilets, so people just went and um, defecated in the bushes, um, it, you know, in the rural area, which increased the spread of disease and sickness, et cetera, et cetera. So um, reduced the national mortality rate, increased the, the demand on hospitals, et cetera, et cetera. So the, the government, understandably, wanted to solve this problem. Um, but these this kind of 270 villages would not build toilets, even though free toilets were being offered to them. And my friend was engaged to try and help them sort it out. And the thing that my friend discovered was that going on and on and on about the health for these villagers made no difference to them because their ancestors who lived in exactly the same way were their heroes so they didn't see any deficit of health because their heroes lived like that so why would you change but my friend spent time listening to their conversations living with them learning what was going on and he discovered that in these villages the biggest hut basically meant that you were the coolest person in the village you know and so he sold to them why don't you get this free toilet because it makes your hut bigger which means you're a cooler kid on the block (laughs) and so basically all of a sudden, people were accepting the opportunity to build these latrines on the side of the house because um, because it, it boosted ego. It boosted pride. Um, now, now, was health mentioned? No, not at all. <laughs> yeah. Because health... Now, health was the motivation of the governing body, um, sorry, the national national body. Um, just like that sporting governing body wanted to increase parents' understanding of the game and how to engage with the game. Right motivation, just wrong message. 
just wrong way of going about it. So if you come to my parenting talks, you will you will not see me having a go at parents. You will see me trying to celebrate parents to start off with. You will see me. So if it's at a national level, so kids who are who so parents whose kids are about to represent the country, I, I always get them to do a standing ovation for one another. Just you know, you you got your kids here. You know, there's no question in my mind that that parents get their kids to that point. And I always feel, you know, my British reserve comes in there, and you know, I find standing ovations a little bit, a little bit. I, I, at the theatre, if I go to a theatre and you watch a show, I'm always one of the last to do a standing ovation. Even when my, <laughs> even when my own daughter's performing, because I just there's something. Um, you know, my dad was an RAF officer and stiff upper lip and all that lot that I that I really still I don't know why. It's one of those weird, so, but I say to I say to the parents, listen, we're going to be, you know, if we're going to be very un-British, we're going to stand up, we're going to give each other a standing ovation, and if if you feel uncomfortable, don't worry, we'll have, to have a cup of tea and dunk a biscuit in a minute. But mate, they really go for it. They they are really go for it. And on the evaluation forms I have, parents regularly say to me, wow, that was so supportive. Parents are expecting a bollocking, they're expecting to be told off, they're expecting a boring lecture, and and the first thing I get them to do is to stand up and give each other a standing ovation because they want to know that that they're part of this journey and that they're doing a good job. And then I play a bunch of games with parents, which are fun, but playing i don't play because they're fun i play because as you know and you're a real expert in this um play changes a narrative play changes the way you perceive something and and parenting i mean i don't know if you've come across the kind of safe uncertainty um psychology model but i think a lot of parents get themselves into this place which is called safe and certain so i kind of know who i am and i and i keep doing the same things unquestionably because it kind of seems to give a result that i'm kind of happy with and if i step out of that zone of what we call safe and certain that's really uncomfortable i don't like that and then i get judged and i make mistakes and people judge me etc well when i what i want to help people engage in not just in my parent sessions but throughout their child's whole sporting season is to feel safe and to feel valued so that's what the standing ovation is for but i want parents to feel like they can be stretched i want parents to feel like they have permission to reflect on their practices and the first thing i want them to feel when they reflect on those practices actually do you know what? i'm doing a good job because when I speak to coaches and teachers, they, the first thing most of them say to me is, oh, 95% of the parents are really good. That's your target audience when you're working with parents, mate, the 95% who are really good. It's, this is not about dealing with the 5% who throw a wobbler and scream and shout at the ref um, and are abusive to the coach. We need to deal with them. Don't, don't mishear me. But for me, parent engagement is about how do we help the 95% feel safe but uncertain so that they're willing to explore their parenting, firstly feel affirmed, secondly be reflective, and thirdly adopt new things and reject perhaps some of their their parenting habits that their parents had and feel safe to do that. And I believe when you do that well over a season, not just a one-off parents meeting or a one-off booklet, um, you know, my booklet I think is pretty cool and I'm really excited about it, um, but... Um, on its own, it's not it's not enough. A one-off resource isn't enough. By the way, I don't think I said you can get that from Amazon. Yeah, yeah, mate. I'll, I'll have I'll have a link to that in the show notes. Sorry about that, mate. Now, one, a, couple, a, a, a couple of oh, things. Sorry, you're right, mate. A couple of things I love there, and um, I think it all comes back to particularly when you were talking about the huts and adding the value of the toilet to make them bigger. All that comes down to is your mate was listening and. Um, I think, again, it comes down to coaches, parents, teachers, whoever. If they listen more instead of talking, um, do you reckon that would solve so many more issues in the world? Oh, mate, yes, completely. I think, well, I think, you know, when it comes to working with teenagers, I think if you can ignore the first sentence out of every teenager's mouth, remembering that comes from the part of the brain that just isn't rational, isn't caring, isn't, isn't, 
you know, helpful because most teenagers' first sentence at home is quite grumpy and rude. If you can ignore that, <laughs> so don't are. listen to that. Yep. But other than that, <laughs> other than that, yeah, mate, t- I totally agree. I totally agree. And I think particularly at elite sport levels, I don't like using the word elite for youth sport, but it paints a quick picture of what I mean. I think a lot of elite sport institutions have so much power over parents that they're not listening properly. And then when they have a problem with a few parents, it, they, they, they create a cheap understanding of pet, the parental challenge. They, they create a, a quick understanding. And also, you know, listen, I, I work for a church tale, so I, the church is one of the biggest institutions that has a massive messiah complex and thinks it's enough to solve everything. But coaches and teachers, in my experience, also have a similar challenge. That, that everybody agrees with the the statement, it takes a village to raise a child. But everybody also then goes on to say, but my part of the village is most important. Rather than listening to what the other parts of the village contribute yeah. and, and their narrative and their story and, and understanding, you know, the elite sports team, of course those coaches have massive impact. Listen, mate, my own kids' coaches... I love the fact that my kids have coaches. I love their influence on my kids' lives. I love what they do for my kids. They are phenomenal people. Most of them are volunteers. Some of them are paid. Uh, and, I, and I love the, the input that those coaches have in my kids' life. But make no mistake, I'm still more influential than them. Yeah, and, 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 and you will be, mate. And, and, totally. And, and, and so part of my thing is, as a parent is having the humility to say, you know, my son might not listen to me, but he'll listen to them. And, and, and I need to, I, so I want my kids to be listeners. So I feel my kids being listeners by having loads and loads of voice, try and get loads and loads of healthy voices in their lives. Um, but yes, mate, I totally agree. I think for this, it's about helping listen to each other. So, and listen, I get it. Coaches and teachers want to work with young people. Like I wanted to work with young people on the skate park, but I think with small tweaks throughout the season or throughout the school year, you can make listening to parents far, far easier. Okay. You can, um, I think, you know, that whole reflective listening thing, when I talk to teachers about concerns, very rarely does a teacher say to me, uh, you know, Mr. Shorter, what I'm hearing you say is, is you are really passionate about how your son gets on in maths. And I think that's really, really important. Um, and, and you're concerned about this at the moment, let me, let me, let's work together to try and resolve that. You know, normally I get defensive. Now, listen, don't get me wrong, I know teachers and coaches have a hard time with parents, and so it's really easy to kind of get storm damaged by that, not listen, get really defensive really quickly. Um, but rather than kind of trying to affirm the passion, affirm the motivation for the conversation, and then try and tease out the issues, particularly in elite sports, because the, co- the, the coaches have so much power. I mean, mate, I've spoken, like the last year alone, I've spoken to nearly 4,000 parents in parents' meetings, which is just bonkers. I love it. I absolutely love it. If, but the sports department seem to be able to get parents along because parents seem to want to keep sports people happier. And there's a real power dynamic there that I think listening can really balance out of it. And, you know, I'm really excited. Some elite sport contexts in the UK they are working really hard to listen to parents, really, really hard. Um, I often show coaches a picture of a deer on a road in a wood, um, and I say to coaches, you know, say what you see, and coaches say, well, I've just said, they say, oh, we see a deer on a road. And I say, it's fascinating, isn't it, we, that we say that rather than we say that there's a road crossing the wood. We see the human part and think that the deer is interrupting that. And so often I think coaches and parents and teachers think that the other person is interrupting our narrative rather than taking a step back and seeing the wood <laughs> and seeing yeah. the bigger picture, seeing the fact that actually that 
that wood probably had deer going through it a long time before tarmac was invented and a long time. Um, so, you know, in your context, you might put a photo of a kangaroo on a road, and, <laughs> you, you, you know, and, sorry, I know, you know, judging how you Aussies might perceive something, but you know, what's, you know, you put a photo of a kangaroo on a road and the bush and you say to people, what's happening here? And they'll say, oh, there's a kangaroo on the road rather than going, hang on that road, that bush, those kangaroo paths were there thousands of years before that road was there. So it's, but because we're human, we see our narrative first. That's normal. And that's what happens with coaching and parents and teachers. We see our narrative, we see our sports club first, rather than stepping back and hearing the wider narrative. So, you know, again, in, in conversations for the journey, my hope is, and I think it will happen, that if clubs can encourage parents to use a question once a week, so 40 questions, what will happen is that will help the parents hear the child's narrative around sport without them realising that that's what they're doing. And for parents, you know, if you're listening, what it will give you is just a really good insight into how your kid is motivated, and it will give you a ton of language and vocabulary to help support them. So my son at the moment is struggling with maths, but he's a kicker. He loves his kicking. Um, he rushes through his maths tests. And, you know, we've just been talking about how – and I just completely big him up. Every time he goes kicking, man, I love the way you slow yourself down. I love the way you just take your breath. I love the way, you know, he, he copies Ronaldo. I don't, don't know if you've seen, but Ronaldo does a big yeah, breathing I, thing. I know he's very, very sharp. If you kick the ball like Ronaldo, mate, you're going to be a very happy father. But, but, but he can kick the ball a bit and his dad can. But, <laughs> but, but, but I've, just, I've just seen what he does at rugby, and I'm like – Oh, and, you know, inside, I've been going, flipping do that at school. Yesterday, he came to me and said, Dad, I did a maths test. I treated it like I was kicking. I was like, yes. But, but basically, <laughs> that's, come from, that's come from two years of me going, oh, I love the way you slow yourself down there, mate. I love how that gives, you, that gives you the confidence to give it a go. And he has now gone, oh, yeah, I wonder if I'll put that there. That might help. You know, if, I was, if I was his dad and gone, mate, that would work in maths. He'd go, shut up, what you talk about. Oh, wouldn't leave me alone. Stop nagging me about education. Or whatever. <laughs> um, so it's trying to have those conversations which fuel a better understanding and a better narrative of what's going on. I, I love that, mate. And, and I think you may, like people will be listening to this and you've dropped in so many wisdom bombs, I call it, and I'm absolutely loving it, Rich. Now, just if, for people listening, I like to condense things. So if I was a parent and I was listening along, what would be maybe just two really simple tips or ideas that I could action straight away um, for them dealing with coaches? I oh, mean, that's, that's an awesome question. So I think... Um, I think... Oh, two tips at dinner with coaches. I thought you were going to say that the other way around. Well, oh, okay. if, if you want me no, to no, no, that no, 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 mate, no, it's a podcast, so it's good to stretch me. Let me <laughs> narrow it down. Right, firstly, um, just get to know the coach. Get to hear their story. Get to hear what they're about. And, and every time you go to training, say hello, shake their hand, and make the coach engage with you, but do it about their story. So I've just talked, so, so you know, how's work, mate? How's it going? How's the kids? How's the family? Ask the coach those questions. Make the coach realize you really care about them because you may have to have a hard conversation with the coach about, um, you say your selection policy is X, Y, and Z, but you've dropped my son and that you haven't stuck to your policy. Do you know what I mean? You may have to have that conversation. And I think you should have that conversation as a parent, particularly if coaches – and look, coaches are human beings. We all make mistakes. Um, and it's okay to have those conversations. So my first bit of advice was just get to know the coach. And even and, and there are lots of coaches who try and keep parents standoffish. You know, just, just get to know the coach. Now, listen, I cannot stand it when I see coaches say, you know, unless you're willing to help out, you don't have an opinion. That's totally wrong. You know, I've got three kids. I can't help out all three of my kids' clubs. And we limit the number of clubs our kids do so that we can have family time. And I still don't have enough time to, 
to kind of kind of serve in every one of these kids. But I can give a word of encouragement to the coaches. I can just say to them, oh, do you want me to carry those balls over there? I can make sure I'm on time because that is honouring the coach. And then I think, um, so that's the first thing, kind of get to know the coach. And then the second thing is, is never diss the coach in front of your kid. Never, ever, 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 ever. Um, diss the coach um, in an honest conversation with the coach in, in a way that's willing to listen to what the coach is saying. But, but never, ever, ever talk down the kid, your, your, your coach or your teacher. You know, I, I just I get so cross with some of my friends when I hear their children talking about their teachers in such a disrespectful way. And it's clear that they've got that language from their parents. I just think that just totally undermines the relationship structure. Of course, parent, of course, coaches and teachers get stuff wrong because they're human beings. But that requires you to have a one-to-one conversation that says, listen, mate, can we have a coffee? Because I'm just I'm feeling a bit uncomfortable about this. And I've had to do that a number of times and just, just challenge my children's coaches or educators on something. But I've done it privately. I've done it hopefully respectfully. And I've done it in a way that I've tried to ask questions about it. So, so you know, in the UK, um, they have a big set tests in their last year of primary school my daughter was in that last year I was really unhappy with the way the teacher was kind of just basically spending I felt spending the whole year going on about these tests rather than just educating the kids but I went and asked to meet her privately my daughter never ever knew that I was annoyed about that I went and sat down with her said listen this is kind of what I'm hearing I'm, I feel uncomfortable what's your perspective you know now I don't think the teacher overly changed their their view on it but I didn't fall out with her and it didn't have a back fire on my kid um if that kind of makes sense but yeah, i but does. i faced up to it yeah, faced I, up to change. so number one just just sh- shake them by the hand not brown nosing so your kid gets on the team but just because you care for the coach you, you, you know um and then secondly when there is a problem have the guts just to, to privately ask yeah don't don't be a i call it a keyboard warrior and say stuff behind the back mate and i think your main point there that could go down to anywhere in life it's all about building relationships if you don't have that connection before you start trying to do anything um it's never going to work so i think they're great bits of advice now i'm going to flip it around two tips for coaches and teachers when dealing with parents okay so um I'll send you a link to this in a minute, mate, but I've got a, like a one-page kind of parent pack. I think that when I travel around educational environments or um, or schools, their kind of philosophy, value, and visions are always far, far, far too long, and they're never clear. So I think if you imagine in the toilets at the clubhouse or the guest toilet in the school, if you cannot, by the time I've had a wee, read a one-page document that explains what this institution is about, how they go about doing stuff, and how to deal with conflict and where the safeguarding is, then you have, you're not communicating the, the basics quick and simple enough. Um, so I think for me, it would be produce as a team, get together. And so if you're in a sports club, that would be things like, what's our coaching philosophy here? Because parents get, you know, mate, I don't know what it's like when you play sport, but the way that my teachers coach me to play rugby and hockey is completely different to the way it's done now. Um, but parents have this weird thing of thinking that the way that they were done is still the best way. So <laughs> I need to do I need, I need, and coaching now, I mean, Craig Gunny's stuff, honestly. I mean, the guy's a legend. Looking at his Wolfpack stuff. But he's mental, mate. You know, if you're a parent who's expecting kids to run up and down in lines, and then he's got people chanting, and he's doing some, you know, kind of tribal dance, which I love, and I think is flipping awesome, and I can see the outputs that he's getting. But you're, you're a parent who rocks up to that. That's pretty weird, okay? It's and, something and different, isn't it? It's something different, and I would encourage all any coaches to go look at Gunny stuff because it is flipping awesome. And I'd encourage you to get the guts to kind of put yourself out there and do that because you, you'll reap the fruit. fruit. I we have a bunch of boys 
at primary school level who's struggling in education and my wife and I run a group for them in our community and it's very similar to that we do lots of drumming and lots of chanting and things like that and you, you know it takes a bit of courage to put yourself out there but parents don't get to see that you know on the side of the sports pitch parents see that stuff so just be straight away what what could, what will you see in our environment our environment we do this and it's three bullet points not a 15 page document on how to coach because boring no one reads it you know um then you then you talk about the basics so selection policy um game time so in a school environment you know how do we pick kids to do stuff what what kids get roles and opportunities in our in our environment um then then talk about what's your what's your season's aims you know so so what are you hoping to get out of kids that you're teaching in year eight or nine what are you hoping to get out of kids that you're teaching rugby to in year eight or nine what's your season is it to be undefeated i really hope it's not to be undefeated because that's a really poor coaching um aim but it's actually this year we want to work on these couple of tactical things and we want the kids to really major on having fun before and after the game or whatever it is at a sports club level and at an education level you're thinking actually we want this kind of self-awareness we want this type of educational development and then and then have the guts to put on there what happens when it goes wrong what happens when we fall out so like you were just saying about keyboard warriors every time someone enters the school just be honest listen we're human beings this doesn't always work as smoothly as we like so here's how we'd like you to treat us when when we've upset you firstly wait 48 hours unless it's a safeguarding issue before getting in touch with us then send a simple email saying with a short heading of what the chat issue is and then ask to meet with us we may ask somebody else to meet with us when we meet with you but we will try and honor that meeting as quickly as we can so you just so my first thing is just do parents know about your environment do parents know what's going on and and so many parent packs and so many like when you go to schools and you see what they send to parents it's like 48 pages long it's just like no one reads it or they do read it on the first day and then what will happen is the school or the club will wheel out page 17 paragraph 4 sub clause 7 when something goes wrong which no one can remember and that's really unfair to just kind of use a document like that so i think the first thing is um speak um have a document that's just really really clear really really simple and have it everywhere have it everywhere on, on the bottom of every email um on the on the back page of um you know the school concert uh, on the back of the presentation night so just parents constantly refreshed and then secondly whatever your values are go on and on and on and on and on about them okay so so i see schools and um and clubs that have a really cool set of values no more than three or four and then they never talk about them just talk about them until you're bored with them talk about them. every time you meet a parent tell the parent where their child is doing one of those values i think you would change parent coach parent teacher dynamics if every time a parent came up to you you said listen i really want to hear what you say but i've got to just tell you you know at this school we really value perseverance last week your son was really struggling with this thing in art and he persevered and persevered and persevered he is an asset to this school now sorry i interrupted you what come out what do you want to tell you start a conversation like that mate parents are like wow our kid gets this school wow yeah. our kid is you, you, do you know what i mean well, and it's just, it just diffuses some of the conflict but but i don't know i don't understand why but senior leadership teams or senior coaching teams come up with a good philosophy then they bury it in a document and no one ever mentions it or it's written on the side of a dressing room wall just just go on and on and on and on and on a parents evening if you have a value as your as a set of values as your school every parent should say to every so every teacher should say to every parent where their children are doing in those values I'd you know parents that, that's great Parents' evenings should not just be about where your child's grade is at. At this school, we value um, humility, 
we value teamwork and this is how your child is displaying these in my lesson and that's helping them achieve X, Y, Z. Help parents get where your values help them succeed. And on the sports pitch, you know, at the team huddle after the game, get the parents around. I mean, I don't understand. I mean, coaches, this is not about lots of extra work, Dale. I really hope that's what people... No, are no, it's, it's, it's not about extra work, mate. It's about making... I think, I think your message is really powerful because it's all about that first initial contact, making it a positive one and making people feel happy, making people feel safe. And then you can really have any conversation you want. Mate, totally. And... and and so, you know, like team huddles, for example, you know, I know coaches don't have a lot of time to talk to parents, especially if I've just told every parent to come and shake their hand, you know, that's just added <laughs> 10 minutes to the end of the coach. But, but, it, but instead of a team talk that says, oh, they were better than us, oh, well done, boys, or well done, girls, you know, you just say, you know, kids, in our club, we value, um, let's think, well, give me, give me a value, give me a value. Um, my brain's gone blank it's too early in the morning a value um, so um, <laughs> you me on the spot I'm the only one answering the questions here uh, no, sorry. Uh, a, a value so teamwork be a good team player be sportsmanship be a good team player yeah. right, okay so so you might have team player you might have sportsmanship I think you know those are fairly similar aren't they could be different so at the end of the game you say we don't have man of the match or player of the match or woman of the match here we say listen right our sportsmanship award today goes to Johnny because um, you, you know before the game he you know I saw some of the opposition didn't know where the change rooms were and he pointed out the right direction let's all just give Johnny a round of applause parents are around you you give that round of applause um, teamwork parents parents get to choose the teamwork player parents who's the teamwork player today because that's what we value here you know that's, that's it's right. that's yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I think, I think, uh, Rich, I think people are doing that, but I don't think it's as consistent as we need. And I don't think people realise how easy it is to just transform uh, the the whole environment of the sports team, the school, with those simple little instructions like you've just mentioned. Mate, totally. And, and do you know what? I... I mean, I'm Russell Earnshaw from Magic Academy. Um, if you, you know, check them out because they're amazing... I, I, him and a guy called John Fletcher, they used to be coaches of the England Under-18 rugby team. They now run their own business called Magic Academy, which if you're coaches or teachers, check out because it's flipping awesome. And it's all about environment. And, and one of the things that they really solidified my learning about was just how important to, to own the environment and the impact that you have. And so when coaches come to me and say, we're really struggling with parents, behavior of X, Y, Z, I want to immediately ask the question and say, well, what's your environment like around those issues? So if coaches come to me and say, our parents are so winning dominated, and I'm like, okay, when I look on your Twitter feed, all I see is about winning. And so, you know, your environment is not supporting your values or actually your values aren't really your values and you haven't been honest and said, actually, we just want to value winning. <laughs> um, so, you can't say that. <laughs> so, you can't say that. Um, although some people do and some people are honest about that at least. Um, and I think for me, it's about co- particularly coaches and teachers recognising that you own your own environment. And I'm not saying that that means parents are easy, but you get to curate your environment. So, so what's the physical environment like? What's the emotional environment like for parents when they come into your context? So, for example, cricket is, is a nightmare for ki- parents and kids because it's a long day. And, and parents can walk the boundary. So you can have just had the worst over of your life. And be, <laughs> straight down the fine leg. Straight down the fine leg, or third man or whatever, you know, just go and go, you know, your captain's peed with you. He's like, go down there, and then your mum or dad can wander around the boundary and chunder <laughs> in your ear. Come on, pull your socks up, blah, 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 blah. So, so I, you know, there's a great school in the UK called Millfield. They really curate their environment for parents to reduce that. Absolutely. Their changing rooms are designed so that the parents can't get anywhere near the kids when the kids are waiting to bat. 
so that it's just um, so they're owning that environment. They're not aggressive, being nasty to the parents. They just designed their clubhouse so that the, the kids were upstairs watching the game from high. But also, parents just parents and kids just couldn't interact. They reduced that. Um, other cricketing environments are, are making it clear to parents that this is the the bay for parents. And if the parents start wandering around, a teacher will just go and say, "Oh, we, we love the fact you're passionate about your kids, but sorry." In this environment, we keep the parents here. Do you know? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, so I, I think do. It's, yeah. it's totally about saying what are the what's the environment we're creating, and and how does our environment reinforce kids just having an awesome time, um, and helping parents do. And don't forget, this is not helping parents do something that's alien to them. This is helping parents do something that that my experience tells me the majority of parents are passionate about anyway, which is having good character. They may be holding other tensions in there as well, and sports are very emotive experience, but you're not trying to get a parent to do something they don't want to do, but you need to help have an environment which helps them focus on those answers to the barbecue question. So, yeah. for example, you know, when coaches get, I'm going to offer in the UK, uh, people to to buy packs of the book, and <clears throat> and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to put in there a coach's, a coach's pack, um, to help parents. And one of the things is just send the kids away every day going, oh, mum, we've got to ask you question number one. And we've got to give an answer next week. And if we give an answer, we get an extra point or a prize or something like that. Because straight away, parents are like, oh, cool. Uh, right, I want my kids to succeed next week and get the point or the yeah, prize. Yeah, or of course. So I'm going to do that. So you've just, in that simple way, you've just created an environment that's just, is wooing, is making it easy for parents to participate in your value systems rather than making it harder for the parents to buy You've uh, yeah, and, you, and I don't you, think you, it's massive. You've uh, you've sort of you've sort of really gamified that, to be honest, there, Rich. I I love that idea, mate. When you can make anything about points or games, particularly parents, of course they want to do it. Mate, totally. And in fact, one of the things I don't think I've talked about, I mean, again, if you, if you look at my YouTube channel or website, you'll see one of the things I love doing with parents is just gamifying my whole parents meeting. So, 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 like, there's some great research about supers and almosts um, in the sporting world and how their parents interacted with those who were, went to be superstars, so at the top of their sport, or those who were almost top of their sport. Um, and, and you know, it's great research, but I just play a game with it. I play a balloon game with it, and I just play a, I play a game with a balloon, and and I, I use that to explain the research, and and parents just laugh and have fun. And, 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 and all of a sudden, once you gamified something, it creates a far better interaction around the, around the data, around the input, rather than me standing up with a PowerPoint saying this is what the data is and telling some stories, although that's not a bad way because storytelling is always really helpful. Yeah, but, but actually, parents, you know, my, my assumption is that parents are going to be defensive towards me. But you put a balloon in their mouth and say we're now going to play a game which is who can blow the balloon up the biggest without it popping – and you encourage a few people to go too far and let it pop. And all of a sudden, you've got 60 balloons fully blown up in a room. Five have popped because the people have just gone over the top and been too <laughs> zealous. And, and all of a sudden, people are smiling. And people are like, this is a bit weird. It's a Saturday morning at 8.30. And I brought my kid to a rugby match today. But now I'm playing with balloons. And then, do you know what I say? And I say to people, just let the balloons go. And the, the letting the balloons go has no other purpose other than going. And what happened to your faces when we let the balloons go? Oh, we all smiled. I was like, oh, that's cool, isn't it? Parenting can be fun. You know? <laughs> Let's just have fun, and then I explain why we actually played the game. But 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 that gamification of stuff and just drawing out that playfulness um, is it, for me. I don't do that because it is fun. I do the letting go of the balloon bit because it's fun. But the gamification I think gives people just a different emotional 
connection and experience with something, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, and, and it's different to coach going, oh, you've, the coach texting all the parents going, please answer question number 39 out of the book tonight because no parent's going to do that. Oh, why do I have to do that? But actually, kid comes and says, Mum, this is a game. This is a competition. Straight away. You've hooked them in, mate. You've hooked them in. You caught that fish, and I love that. So um, I know that you can uh, yeah, go onto your YouTube channel. You've got some amazing things. I know you use Jenga and all these other cool yeah. things. So, do you want to explain it? I know we're, I know I've used up a lot of your time here today, Rich. Do you want to – just because I use Jenga a lot. I use it for fitness sessions. I use it in the classroom. I use it for coaching. Um, how do you use Jenga? Because I think it's such a wonderful tool to be able to teach your coach anything you're doing so so for coaches or teachers this is a really easy thing to do on parents evening or whatever um i, I use jenga or i use something i use in the uk there's a, cra- a company create crazy catch which is like a rebound net that's another way i've done it recently um so i explain those two um jenga you pick two volunteers out you ask them to come and play jenga in front of everybody the first thing it's a lot easier if you can get a jenga block with multi different colors on it because it helps people engage a bit more with it, it but it doesn't matter if you can't and basically i say to the audience gather around the jenga players so we make a real cauldron of atmosphere around um and basically it's one minute of shouting instructions at the Jenga players. Nothing nasty, just shout instructions at the Jenga players. And the reason having the colored one's easier, because I just say to people, just keep repeating, pick a pink, pick a yellow, top one, bottom one. Doesn't matter what you pick, just create an atmosphere of instructions. And then after that, I ask them to create, to spend a minute just cheering and clapping them on. No instructions, nothing nasty. And, and I ask the watchers to observe the body language of the players. And, and the body language change is often really, really significant between the two. And I'm just like, which of those two body languages do you want your kids to, do, to have for sport? And I just talk about constantly giving instructions, constantly, um, particularly from the sideline. A lot of coaches, a lot of parents feel that, feel that shouting instruction from 60 metres away is going to have a profound effect on the outcome. Yeah, of it. And it's not, is it? Well, it's not. I think, I think when I talk to kids, most kids just seem to say it's white noise. Yeah. Um, I just, but I just think, like, why are you shouting? Shouting is always shouting. It doesn't matter whether it's meant with encouragement. It's just shouting. Why would you be shouting? And, and well, it, my kids are getting up for school now, so they'll come down and tell you I shout. But, but then, <laughs> you know, a lot less than I did before. You know, than I want to. But, um, but the the. So the whole idea is just to get parents to reflect. And mate, do you know the number of times I've had parents come up to me and say that was so powerful. That was so powerful. I suddenly realised what my shouting on the sideline did. I had a dad come up to me a couple of weeks ago almost in tears about how he'd handled the conversation after the game, um, after games of cricket with his kid just shouting and screaming at him in the car about how he hadn't done what he told him to and things like that. Um, and, you know, saying to me, what do I do, Rich, because my son doesn't play cricket. I was like, well, you go home and you apologise, mate. And you, and you say, I want to put this right, and I don't, don't expect you to take cricket up again, but I realised that I wasn't helpful and move forward. Um, so some people, that can be just a really profound piece of learning. The crazy catch, it's very similar, but you set it up, and I get people to talk in groups around tables, and I get three or four people out, and one person throws the ball at the net, and then the ball bounces back, and the next person catches it and then throws it, and the next person. So they kind of go around a round robin. And I mean, you can and you can do this with kids. It's really interesting when you do this with kids. Um, and you say the first time for a minute, I want you to distract them from completing their task. You can't touch the ball, the net, or the people. 
but how are you going to distract them from completing their task? And um, and then they go around and different different tables come up. And don't forget, there's lots of balloons around near me because I've played lots of balloon games with the parents already. So some of them will f- fill up balloons and f- let them fly in people's faces or, or pop balloons near them or, or talk to them. But there's a lot of shouting instructions. And then I say to people, right, for a minute, I'd like you to create an environment that helps them complete the task. What are you going to do to help them complete the task? Now, some people still shout instructions, which is I, – I, which is interesting, so we unpack that a little bit. Um, but the but some people just choose to then sit down in silence, and I'm like, that's fascinating, isn't it? So why did you choose to be in silence? Oh, because well, we're just distracting. I was like, so when your child goes to do their homework or play their sports fixture, do you choose just to sit down in silence to help them get on with it, or are you over their shoulder giving instruction after instruction after instruction after instruction? And they're like, oh yeah, good point. I was like, yeah, it is really, isn't it? You know that when. To help total strangers complete a task, you sat down in silence, but when it's your own child, and I know why, that's because of the emotional connection, it's understandable, but um, but it's not a healthy way of expressing that emotion. Um, and, and it's great fun doing that game with kids as well, because kids work out really quickly what's an encouraging environment, what's a supportive environment to, for completion of task, basically. So I use, that, I use that game a lot with teachers as well. Yeah. And I guess I it fascinating. You know, when you're in the classroom, how many of your behaviours from the first game are actually mirrored in, in your teaching, coaching style, and how many of your behaviours from the second style are actually mirrored in teaching, uh, in your teaching and coaching style. And it's quite a cool learning moment for a lot of people. I, I can imagine that, mate. I'm sure teachers, parents are listening along, and they can probably, without even playing the game, they could probably really imagine what their response would be or exactly how they would act in that situation. So I think that's going to be really powerful for people. Now, I've just got one last question for you, Rich. What do you want to be remembered for, mate? So, what would the if if you when when you when you're just about done, mate? Um, what's the one <laughs> thing? And I'm saying you've got plenty of good years, mate. I reckon you'll be back on the skateboard or inline skating soon. Okay. But um, what's the one thing you want to be remembered for, mate? The impact you want to have, mate. That's a, that's an awesome question. Um, I think uh, my, so as a Baptist minister, I have the privilege of doing funerals, a lot of funerals. And um, the thing you notice about funerals is it's 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 your closest family who are at the graveside long enough longer than anybody else. Um, you know, work colleagues come and say nice things, but it's it's the family that stay longer. And it's and the, the mate, this is this is the the massive privilege of being a church minister is you see the breadth of life. And when I go and visit a family to do a funeral, I can tell within a minute. And I know that sounds judgmental. Often tell, not always within a minute about the type of person by the way in which the deceased are talking about them and um, are interacting with their memories of that person, whether that be just a, a widow on their own or a massive room full of people. doesn't matter. It's not the number of people that are there. It's the way they talk about the person who, who has departed. Um, and, and so for me, you know, my legacy is when they're planning my funeral, mate, I want it to be obvious that I was a person of good character and I want as much of my character to be in each of those people in that room as I can possibly give away. Um, that for me, um, and I know, you know, I think when I was like that 23 year old, I wanted a massive memorial in a stadium, but you know, I, I want those closest to me to have great character because of my influence over their lives. That's my, that's my biggest, that would be my biggest legacy. If people were generous, exciting, um, I often say I want my kids to be non-conformists. I want them to break rules for, for good, not at home, obviously. Yeah, <laughs> um, but I, I want, I want, you know, it sounds a bit cheesy, kind of world changes. But I want, I want. So in that room, when when my family gathered to plan my funeral, I I want the person who comes to do it to go flipping. I wish I met that bloke because of the way these people are. 
Wow, I, I think that's a really nice way to finish it off, mate. And I think just from people listening along today, particularly parents, kids, teachers, uh, anybody listening, that um, I think they're just general conversation starters when uh, mm. you're, you're approaching any situation at work, family, home life, down the street with anybody. It is all about building that connection first and, and fostering that relationship because if you make people feel comfortable and happy, then you're able going to have a good conversation. You'll be able to get to the point of what you want to discuss. Whereas if you're not actually putting time into that person, listening like you said, Rich, then the chances of actually getting a beneficial result for both are, are quite slim. So I think people will be able to take so much away from it. Your book, mate, I will put a link in the show notes so people listening along, energetic.education forward slash podcast, and you'll be able to go and download the Kindle version. I think uh, you were saying... Yeah, that's that, right, uh, yeah. And, and if you, the if you hard copy, one from, if you want a hard copy, get in touch. I'll, I'll work out how much that is to post towards. But yeah, definitely. Legend. Be good to be good to that, mate. I, Dale, I, I love what you do. I really love your energy. I, do you know what? I usually listen to podcasts on one and a half speed, so you get through them a bit quicker. <laughs> listening, listening to you and Gunny. I had to put it down to normal speed because you were so both so excited. I love that. I love what you're resourcing. Oh. I think it's awesome, mate. I, I really, really do. I really, really do. <laughs> that's, that's so funny you said that. I, I don't normally listen to myself, uh, Rich, but I listened to one the other day and I I couldn't understand what I was saying. I listened to him on 1.5 too. So um, that's, <laughs> I'll take that as a compliment, mate. Thanks mate, it's that, awesome. Mate. No, you should do it. I love, I love your energy. I love what you're doing. I love what you're resourcing. Yeah, you're a legend, Richard. Well, thank you very much for that, mate. I, uh, I appreciate your time, buddy. And uh, obviously getting up so early, you're an absolute superstar, buddy. Thanks, mate. I really appreciate it.